life is filled with moments. And to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. When you were a child, you were probably disciplined by your parents. Did they stop loving you? Of course not. And neither does your Heavenly Father. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the patience and persistence of God's love as he continues his series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will. To introduce today's message, God's Love Never Quits, here's David. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we enter into a new uh, chapter of this study. God loves you. He always has, and he always will. By the way, that book and the study guide that goes with it and the CD package or DVD package is available from Turning Point. You can find out about that at our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. It doesn't happen to be our resource. I'll tell you about the resource in a few moments. But, you know, um, in human love, isn't it interesting we put conditions on love? I hear people say this, well, I'll love you as long as you do this or that. God's love isn't like that. God is not loving us because of what we do for him, because there's nothing we can do for God. God loves us because it's his nature to love, and his love never quits. He doesn't give up on us. If you doubt that, you need to stay tuned for these next two days, because I'm going to tell you a story from the Old Testament book of Hosea. The probability is that many of you have not heard this story because it's in one of the minor prophets tucked there in the Old Testament. But it is one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible of the unquitting love of God. What a tremendous encouragement this is. Hosea chapter 11, we'll get to it in a moment. Let me remind you that our resource for the month of January is a book by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth. I love this book so much that I, I, I got to write the forward for it, and that means I've read every word, most of them more than once, some of them several times. The message of this book is a message so desperately needed in our day today, when everything seemed like it's uncontrollable, out of, out of whack, out of sync, if you will. It's so encouraging to know that when you look beyond the pale of earth and see what's going on in heaven, God is there. He's seated on his throne. He's in control. He's the sovereign of the universe. And this world is in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yes, he does. And that includes you and me. It's an encouraging book that will help you to take courage, take comfort, and remember that God is in control. This beautiful hardback gift book is yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of January. I'd love to give this to you. I always think about people getting these resources and being blessed by them, and it's my hope that you will let us do that. Help us the best you can. Ask for your copy. We'll send it to you today. Okay, God's love never quits. Let's listen. A book was written back in 2010 by the editor of Leadership Journal. This man's name is Sky Jathani. And he tells the story of some weekly meetings that were taking place on a college campus at a place called the House of Despair. 
It was a home where a group of college students who were struggling with life and faith resided. These students were known around campus for numbing their pain with alcohol, drugs, sex, and raw conversations. The topics for the meetings ranged across the spectrum of doctrine, hell, dating, but each of the conversations had three rules. Be honest, be gracious, and be present. One night, Sky Jathani was at one of these meetings, and the students began to talk about the subject of their habitual sins, the sins that they continued to commit. What do we do about sins we've struggled with for years and years, one of the students asked. Another student said, you know, my parents were students at a Christian college in the early 90s when a revival broke out on the campus. They were on fire for God, and here I am consumed by sin day after day. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here, and I know I'm not what God wants me to be. Often through tears, other students shared similar stories about how they believed God was so totally disappointed with them and probably didn't love them anymore. After listening to their stories, Jathani asked, how many of you were raised in a Christian home? And all of them raised their hands. He said, how many of you grew up in a Bible-centered church and all their hands went up again? That's incredible, Jathani said. You've all spent 18 or 20 years in the church. You've been taught the Bible from the time you could crawl, but not one of you can give the right answer. Not one of you said that in the midst of your sin, God still loves you. Jathani concluded, I did not blame the students for their failure. Somewhere in their spiritual formation, they had been taught, either explicitly or implicitly, that what mattered most to God was not God's love for them, but somehow what they could do for him. And that night he said, I finally understood why they called this house the house of despair. The title of this series that we have engaged in is simply this, God loves you. He always has, he always will. Hardly any of us will argue about that. But I am convinced from experience that one of Satan's greatest strategies is to lie to Christians about the limitations of God's love. I mean, Satan knows that we are fallen human beings and we are tempted to love one another with limits. (laughs) He knows that with a little nudge from him, we will think of God the way we think of ourselves. And so rather than counting on God's unquitting love, We will wallow in shame over our sin. And all the while we are feeling unloved, God is sending his love to us and we just are not able to receive it. During this series, I have received emails from some of our congregants. People who have written to me of their struggles to believe in their heart of hearts that God really does love them. You'd be surprised at some of these people. But you see, we've all discovered that it's a lot easier to get love right theologically than it is to get it right experientially and emotionally. And as I watch this, it seems to me there are two times when as believers we are most prone to doubt God's love. First, when evil things happen to us that we weren't expecting. And secondly, when we do evil things ourselves. Both of those occasions are because of our inaccurate perception of who God is. 
First of all, if we feel we are not loved because evil things happen to us, we often say, why me, why now, why this? We are not understanding that the Bible never does, nor does God ever guarantee us that we will not be touched by evil. We live in an evil world. People used to ask me all the time, how did you get cancer? You're a pastor. And I said, cancer is a human condition. It just happens to everybody. Nobody gets a pass on it. So when evil things happen to us, we shouldn't respond by saying, well, God doesn't love me anymore. It has nothing to do with that. We live in a world that is filled with evil, and it touches us all in some way or the other. God doesn't say that we will not be touched by evil. He says that he will be there to help us overcome it and be victorious in the midst of it. And when people say, I don't feel like God loves me anymore because I've done so many evil things, they forget that God does not love us because of what is in us. He doesn't love us because of what we do or don't do. God loves us because he is love and it is his nature to love us. He cannot help himself. Second Timothy says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. In other words, God can't quit loving us because if he did, he would cease to be who he is. Who is God? God is love. And if you really get into this concept and begin to read the Bible through the lens of God's love, you will find out that from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through the Bible, story after story is an illustration of God's unfailing love. For instance, God didn't quit loving Adam and Eve after they violated the loan restriction in the Garden of Eden. God punished them for what they did, but he didn't quit loving them. He didn't quit loving Noah when after God had preserved him and his family in the ark, Noah got drunk and uncovered his nakedness before his sons. God didn't quit loving Noah. He paid a penalty for what he did, but God continued to love him. God didn't quit loving Abraham when Abraham left the land of God's provision, went south to Egypt during a famine, ended up getting involved with Hagar, an Egyptian woman, decided through his own ingenuity to fulfill God's promise to him for a son, later lied about his wife on a couple of occasions. God never stopped loving Abraham when Abraham failed God. He didn't stop loving Moses. Moses committed murder, struck the rock of provision, took an unwarranted census of the people. God wouldn't let him go into the promised land, but you know what? God continued loving Moses, and later on in the New Testament, we find out that God took Moses to that very same land on the Mount of Transfiguration where he stood with Elijah in celebration of God's unveiling of his glory. God never quit loving David, even though David committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband Uriah murdered. David did a lot of things he shouldn't have done, including counting all of the people in his army. God kept loving David, even though David was unfaithful to God. He never quit loving Jonah when he told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And if you don't remember that story, let me remind you, Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. And he didn't want to preach the gospel to them because he was certain some of them would get saved and that wouldn't be good for him. So he ran away from God and he had to be taught a lesson, but I always have loved Jonah chapter three, verse one, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. God so loved Jonah that he allowed him to be the preacher in the greatest revival that has ever taken place on planet earth. And what about Peter? 
the famous New Testament illustration of God's unfailing love. Three times he denied the Lord, but God didn't quit loving Peter. In fact, if you keep reading through the book of John and you get to the end of it, you discover that Almighty God recommissioned Peter three times once to match each of his denials. I'm here to tell you that we do things that we shouldn't do, and this is not an attempt for me to wash those away and to gently say it doesn't matter what we do. That's not the purpose of this message. It does matter what we do. And when we violate the holiness of God, we usually pay a penalty. But that's different than God no longer loving us. How many of you know that as a parent, when you have to discipline one of your children, it may be a time when you love them the most. They don't like that and they don't believe that, but it's true. Not to discipline your children is to not love them. And for God not to discipline us when we do things that are wrong would be unloving on his part. As you can see, the message of the Bible is the message of God's never-ending love. Let me say it again. God loves you. He always has, and he always will. One of the greatest stories about that is found in that little book of Hosea. It's an unlikely place to find a love story, but it may be the greatest love story of the Old Testament. Let me tell you about this book. Hosea was a prophet. That means to all of us in this culture, he was a preacher, He was a preacher who was called to preach to the 10 northern tribes of Israel, sometimes referred to as Ephraim in the Bible. And he was called to preach to this group of people at a very special and unique time. It was just before they were carried away captive by the Assyrians, and it was a time of incredible prosperity in Israel and also a time of incredible wickedness. It's hard to imagine how a people like Israel that had been so loved by God could have descended to the depths of degradation that was true of them during this particular time. Every commandment of God was being broken every day by the people of Israel. Falsehood and adultery and bloodshedding and deceit and excess and luxury and open robbery and oppression and false dealing and priests involved in leading the corruption, and of all things hard to understand, they had male cultic prostitutes actually living in the Jewish temple, and women setting up shop in the Jewish temple to weave garments that were used in idolatrous worship. This was a terribly sinful, degraded time in Israel. And God called Hosea, to go and preach to this generation. In his prophecy against them, he says that the nation of Israel has become like an adulterous wife. Hosea 4.12 says, the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray and they have played the harlot against their God. The Bible says that Israel had become like an unfaithful wife, like an adulterous woman And God had loved them faithfully and made a covenant with them. And they had walked away from that covenant and violated it by their evil behavior. Now, we know what that's like in our world today. And we must talk about this because in this passage, in this story, there's an interplay between God's love for Israel and a man's love for his wife. In marriage, is there anything more hurtful to a spouse than disloyalty? When couples marry, they stand before God 
and before witnesses, and they vow to be faithful and loyal to one another. And when someone says, I do, and then they violate that promise, the result for the violated partner is one of the deepest hurts that a human being can feel. And I know that from talking to so many people who have been hurt this way. And what I'm going to tell you right now is not meant to make you hurt more, but to help you understand what was happening in this book. Here are the words of Elizabeth Edwards, who died in December 2010 from cancer. As most of you know, she was the former wife of politician John Edwards, who disgraced himself, his family, and especially his wife, by having an affair and fathering a child by another woman. In the book that she wrote before her death, Elizabeth describes the pain she experienced when she learned of her husband's infidelities. She said, after I cried and screamed, I went to the bathroom and I threw up. And the next day, John and I spoke, and he wasn't coy, but it turned out that he wasn't forthright either. I felt that the ground underneath me had been pulled away. I spent months learning to live with what I thought was a single incidence of infidelity. And I would like to say that a single incidence is easy to overcome, but it is not I am who I am, she wrote. I am imperfect in a million ways, but I always thought I was the kind of woman, the kind of wife to whom a husband would be faithful. I had asked for fidelity. I had begged for it, really, when we were married. I never needed flowers or jewelry. I didn't care about vacations or a nice car. But I said to John, I need you to be faithful. Leave me if you must, but be faithful to me if you are with me. Stephen Turner sums up our current disregard for loyal love when he writes this poem entitled The Declaration of Intent. He said, she said she loved me for eternity but managed to reduce it to eight months for good behavior. (laughs) She said we fitted together like a hand in a glove and then the hot weather came and such accessories were not needed. (laughs) She said the future was ours but the house was in her name. She said, I was the only one who understood her completely. And then she left me and said she knew I'd understand completely. After citing these comments about love, Stephen Turner writes about the tragic consequences we are experiencing today in our families. And then he added this thought. Listen, I want to suggest that it's also having a rather serious effect on the spiritual life of Western society For a society that is no longer understanding or believing in love, in my view, is going to have a hard time understanding or believing in God, or at least the God of the Bible. Isn't it interesting how our human experiences sometimes keep us from the spiritual experiences that we need in our lives? You see, men and women, loyalty is the cornerstone of all relationships, since it is at the heart of the biblical idea of a covenant. It matters not whether the covenant is between God and man or between man and man. Loyalty is the indispensable foundation for a relationship. And God made a covenant with Israel. That's what this book is about. His covenant was like a marriage. God married Israel. And on three different occasions, they exchanged vows at Mount Sinai when they went into the promised land. And later when they were settling the promised land, they said to each other, I do. 
Read those comments in the Bible. It's really amazing because Moses reads all the law and the people said, all that you have said, we will do. But now all of that has fallen apart. 600 years have gone by since Israel was married to God. And over the years, the disloyalty continued to grow until finally during Hosea's preaching, it hit the tipping point. And here in the book of Hosea, God commissions his prophet to show Israel that she had been consistently disloyal to him even though he had been faithful to them. But here's the point that you must not miss. God primarily wanted Hosea to say to Israel, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen from grace, no matter what you've done to be disloyal to me, I want you to know something very important. I will never quit loving you. So God decided to bring this message to Israel in a very unique and strange way. What I'm about to tell you is almost like, oh, I can't believe this is in the Bible. Because in the very first chapter of Hosea, in the second verse, we read these words. Look at your Bible. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. God told his prophet to go marry a woman who would become disloyal and immoral and who would become literally a prostitute. God told him to go marry this woman. By the way, her name was Gomer. I can hardly get past that name because all I can think about is Gomer Pyle, you know? (laughs) I guess in the Old Testament that would have been a... I don't know any women named Gomer. I sure don't. But that was the name of his wife. So the Bible says Hosea went and he married Gomer. God said to Hosea, I want you to love her. With extraordinary emphasis, he repeats it. Love her even though she's an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they commit adultery too by their devotion to idols. So the heartbreak and the trauma of this torturous marriage becomes the kind of dramatized prophecy from Hosea. So through this book you have all that's going on between God and Israel and at the same time what's going on between Hosea and his unfaithful wife. And the unfaithful wife's story is a picture of what it's like for God when his people are unfaithful to him. In obedience to God, Hosea takes the harlot Gomer to be his wife. And Gomer didn't renounce her former life when Hosea married her. In fact, if you go to the third chapter of Hosea's prophecy, you will discover Hosea paying off one of Gomer's customers because they lost his wife's sexual services. And even though Israel didn't respond to Hosea's message and God had allowed the covenant curses to run their course, God wanted Hosea to say to his people, hard as this is to believe, I haven't given up on you. I'm not finished with you. In fact, after you experience some of the things that come as the result of your sin, there's going to be a day in the future when we'll get back together. Listen to these words from Hosea 2. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. In that day, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. 
What kind of love endures the unfaithfulness of a covenant partner and yet remains loyal forever? It's God love. <laughs> it's what it is. And you know, the beauty of that is uh, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And the very God who loves you undeservedly so is a God who helps you to love others the same way, whether it's in a marriage relationship or in a work relationship, in a family situation. Don't ever say, I can't love that person. If you do not know the love of God, you can't. But if you know the love of God, you can. And that's the message of Hosea and the message of this book and the message of today. Tomorrow, part two of Hosea 11, God's love never quits. And then, um, believe it or not, I'm going to do two days on one verse of Scripture, Thursday and Friday, on John 3.16. God wrote his love in red. You know, John 3.16 is such a profound verse, it's almost hard to, to teach it because it's so full of truth. But we'll give it our best shot Thursday and Friday of this week, and I hope you'll be with us then. You can get the book. God loves you. He always has and he always will by going to davidjeremiah.org. You can also get the study guide and the CDs and the DVDs and learn all about this series and uh, order that and have it sent to your home. But if you want this month's resource, you have to send a gift to Turning Point today or before the, before the month is over and ask for your copy of Nancy DeMoss's book, Heaven Rules. It's our gift for the month of January. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth and learn to find comfort and courage in this chaotic world. This powerful book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue... God loves you, He always has, He always will, here on Turning Point. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Someone once asked the English evangelist John Wesley, what he would do if he knew he would die at midnight the next day. 
He said he would do what was already planned. He would preach in the two cities that were expecting him, then travel to the home of friends where he would fall asleep and wake up in heaven. We might ask ourselves the same question. Are we ready to die at any moment? Are there things we have done or left undone that need tending to? Death is the last thing we should be surprised by since we already know it is coming. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to die on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.